This is episode 75 of the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm speaking with Rennie Dyball. Rennie is an author, a celebrity ghostwriter, and editorial manager for The Plaid Horse. A lifelong horse lover, she began riding at age 12 and was captain of the IHSA Penn State Equestrian Team. After a long hiatus from riding while building her career at People Magazine in New York City, she was thrilled to return to the show ring in 2015. Based in Towson, Maryland with her husband and two young daughters, she now shows in the pre-adult Hunters. Now, let's get into the interview. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I'm Carly Cade, and today I'm so excited to have guest Rennie Dyball on the show with me today. Hi, Rennie. Welcome. Hi. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. And we're going to have some really fun conversations with Rennie today because she's going to talk to us about ghostwriting. She's worked at People Magazine. She has a horse book series that she co-authors, and she's up to a lot of really exciting stuff in the equestrian world. Uh, but as you know, how I love to start these interviews off is asking, Rennie, how did your love affair with horses begin? Talk to us about how horses have touched your life. Talk to us about your current horse. What are you up to? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm like many of us that I was born with the bug and uh, have never been able to shake it. Not that we want to, but I think it's innate for a lot of us. I've just loved horses for as long as I can remember. I rode from about 12 to 24, and then I had to take a long break for my career. I lived in New York. I was a fact checker at People Magazine. All of my money went to rent. So I had to take the long break and return to riding uh, when I was 34 and just have a whole new appreciation for doing it as an adult. Uh, and I'm actually leasing, full leasing my very first horse uh, right now. His show name is Song of the South. We mm -hmm. show in the pre-adult hunters. Uh, and his barn name is Pony because he's actually the homebred of a friend of my trainer's. And he's a Hanoverian thoroughbred cross. He was supposed to be a lot bigger than he is. Um, <laughs> he's big bodied and big strided, but he tops out at about 15-1. His bar name is Pony. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, Hanoverian thoroughbred yeah. cross. You'd think it'd be much bigger than that, but I'm sure he's yes. strong. He sounds like he a is. <laughs> He is. And he's such a sweetie. I mean, as wonderful and rewarding as it is to come back to riding as an adult, there's definitely mental challenges that come with that, you know, especially after a bad fall. And he is a little on the green side, but just the kindest, safest saint of a horse. So I'm very lucky to have him. And he's perfect for the right now uh, in my riding career. Oh, that's wonderful. I, you know, I also share that with you. I, I lived in New York City and all my money went to rent and I sold my childhood right. horse to live there. So I totally understand uh, what you're talking about. And yeah. I so respect what you said about coming back to 
uh, riding as an adult and having this whole new appreciation for just how special having these animals in our lives are and how lucky we are. So mm-hmm. welcome back. I wish you tons yeah. of success in your uh, hunter career. And uh, yeah, so that's like really fun. And it's perfect because I want to talk to you about all the different things that you do, but you, but you also work with the plaid horse as their mm-hmm. man- managing editor. Is that correct? So I'm it, the editorial manager. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like a perfect pairing. And then, you know, we're going to also talk about the show stride series that you're writing too. But before we get into that, you know, you are an experienced author, collaborator, uh, 14, former 15 year staffer at People Magazine. How did working for such a popular magazine prepare you for what you're doing now? Because you have your own business. I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, cut some insights in, in, into how that developed your writing career. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, People was the best training ground I could imagine. Mm. Um, I think anybody who's written for the magazine would probably concur that even our long form feature stories were 500, a thousand words, not long at all. So more than anything, I took away the importance of making every word count. I didn't have a lot of room to play with. So kind of editing as I went and going through drafts and making sure that every word packed a punch and there was no filler is probably the best takeaway I had from there. You know, I also remember moving from being a fact checker to a writer and I had this feature story about a celebrity. I don't remember who it was, but I remember the editor who called me into his office and I thought, oh, this is great. We'll go over the story and talk about how great it is. And it was quite the opposite. He very respectfully and professionally took me paragraph by paragraph through the story and pointed out what didn't work and why. And it was humbling, it was necessary, and really helpful to have that standard to live up to. You know, the writing had to be top notch and nothing less was gonna work. So it was, um, it was a good story to edit. It was a very enlightening moment. And I really enjoyed being held to a standard like that. And then editing at people.com, I think set me up to be able to work not just fast, but with some pace and also smart, you know, kind of like cantering down to the single oxer. You, you have to have the pace. It was just, it was, it was 24 seven at people.com. So I learned to work fast and smart. And so now if I only have an hour to write, if I'm working on fiction, I make use of that hour, you know, instead of looking at it, like, oh, I don't have a day to write. I look at it like I have an hour. I'm going to close the door. I'm going to close all the apps and I'm going to get this done. Oh, what amazing training to set you up for the future that you're creating for yourself. I, I mean, I'm in, I love that uh, perfect use of every word and, you know, catchy uh, journalism training, I, I imagine only makes anything you do in the writing realm stronger. Uh, I think so, yeah. Yeah. And then, and this is, I think this is fascinating too. You're, I was galloping around your website, preparing for our interview and, and it mentions that you are a ghostwriter. Uh, talk to us about why you chose to be a ghostwriter and do this kind of work. Yeah, I think it, I think it chose me actually. I got lucky being in the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. I had just written a feature story about Christian Siriano, who was the first winner of Project Runway, the show on Bravo. And he's now of course an acclaimed fashion designer for the runway and the red carpet. And they, the publisher had already set up a deal, a book deal with him. And they loved the tone and the style of my article and wanted the book to be the same. So I was terrified. Uh, Always wanted to be an author, never really knew how to get in or how it was going to start. So that was the first book. And it was a great experience. And 
you know, writing feature stories about celebrities that people really lent itself to just kind of the next step and, and stretching and opening up and making these, you know, making it book length. So I've loved ghostwriting. I'm still doing it. It's, I'd say the only challenge is really when I'm, when I'm having to shift between nonfiction and fiction, Mm. it's sort of like you have to turn your brain off completely and then turn it, you know, turn it back on again on a new channel. But I I love and enjoy doing both and they're both, they're fulfilling in their own ways. And that's incredible. And then, so when, when you have a ghostwriting project, you're writing in the voice of someone else. So how do you, Mm -hmm. how do you prepare for a project like that? Do you interview the person or do they structure how they want the book to look like how, how does a project start yeah. for you? So it really depends on the client. I've had some who are great writers themselves and I've been in more of a, we call it a book doctor role. The one that comes to mind is Andrea Barber from Full House and Fuller House. She's a lovely writer, but a writer is not necessarily an author. As you know, it's a certain skill set. Mm-hmm. So she would send me drafts and my job was more of an editing type of a job with other clients I they just want to talk and so I do the interview I do hours of interviews Mm -hmm. uh, have them transcribed and then I take the transcripts and go from there if it's a public figure or someone who's done a lot of interviews or an actor I just immerse myself in what they've done and if you do that long enough I, I think I'm lucky enough that it comes easily to me it, it's not that difficult to write in their voice and speak in their voice when you've consumed enough of their voice that you just you take it on. And of course, it's a collaboration. So if there's areas where they might say, that doesn't really sound like something I would say, we work on it together. So lots of back and forth, lots of drafts, just like fiction. <laughs> oh, that's so fun. And you know, I, I, I was amiss. I should have said you are a celebrity ghostwriter. because, <laughs> because... Ce- Celebrities as well as ordinary people with extraordinary <laughs> stories. <laughs> that's so exciting. I mean, you really get to you know pull back the veil and go behind and and mm-hmm. I can so, so see how working at people would prepare you to be able to help a celebrity write their yeah. book oh that's yeah. that's so exciting so what services do you offer I mean your website you've, you have a lot of opportunity for people to work with you and, and you know how do people say they want to work with you and and t- have you ghostwrite for them how, what does that look like yeah. how, how would they do that I work with a couple of literary agents, one of mm. whom her job is exclusively pairing ghostwriters with authors. Mm. So I get some jobs from her. Plenty of people come to me directly, and I do everything from line editing to coaching writers every step on the road to publication. I've been lucky enough to have lots of uh, experience in traditional publishing, but also through the Plot Horse, uh, more of an independent publishing process. Uh, I know we'll get to this later. But I really see the benefit in both traditional publishing and more independent models. And I think it depends on the book, on the project. So I love collaborating with people and helping get their stories and their words to the page. Oh, that's awesome. So like your entire life is surrounded by writing and the writing life and helping people get their their mm-hmm. wor- their words on the page, which is so exciting. And I think, you know, one of the questions I asked you is which do you prefer, traditional or independent mm-hmm. publishing? So we might as well just go there. You said you see the value in both. And as do I, I think a lot of authors are approaching publishing now with like a hybrid sort of model where sometimes they'll work with a traditional publisher, but other times maybe there's a passion project or they're just starting out of the gate and they want full control. So they go the independent route, which is amazing mm-hmm. that we have these opportunities now to do both or one or the other, whatever yeah. you know fills our heart. So, so for yeah. you, you've had experience on both sides. Did you want to talk a little bit about your views of independent and traditional publishing? 
Sure, sure. I think there are benefits to both. And I, like I said, I think it's very project dependent. Mm -hmm. The celebrity ghostwriting I've done has been a great fit for the traditional publishing model, because often a pub date is decided upon based on what that celebrity is doing in their acting or singing or whatever it is that they do. So the timing can be, be very good for promotion. Obviously, with traditional publishers, you've got bookstores and airports and so uh, sometimes a lot more visibility and just a big machine and a big push behind it. However, something that the traditional publishing industry does that I think is very different from independent is the life of the book. There's such a push in traditional publishing for the bestseller lists. So it's all about that first week. Mm -hmm. And the push is really the first month, the second month, probably up to a year. And then they're on to the next. And not that that's a bad thing. That's just the model. Whereas in terms of my project with Piper Clem uh, at the Plaid Horse for Show Strides, we call it a 30-year model. We plan to promote this series forever. We hope that we will have children reading it now that can give it to their children. We try really hard to make the series timeless in that way as well. So I think it comes down to, you know, something like equestrian books are often better suited, I think, to independent publishing, because we can really tailor it to the industry. We know the industry. There are certainly successful horse books in traditional publishing, but as you said, the control, the speed with which we can get books out, it really comes down to each project, I think. Oh, well put. Very well said. And I 100% I agree with everything you said there. And I think this is a perfect opportunity to talk about the horse book series. Piper was actually on the Equestrian Author Spotlight podcast earlier, and I, I can link to hers too. But I love the strategy that you have behind the Show Stride series is that it's a, it's a long game and there's a lot of support and promotion going to be happening as the series expands. So talk to us about the Show Stride series. How, how did Piper and you come together and you know, work together on these books? Like, Tell us yeah. about the series and how the yeah. project came to be. Well, I'll hold up my, my little visual for you first. These are the first three titles. I'm working, I'm working on book four right now. So Show Strides came about through horses, not surprisingly. Um, <laughs> I had just moved to the Baltimore area where I live now. I was newly out of people uh, and starting my own business. And my riding trainer suggested that I talk to Piper Clem. And I thought I would love to write blog posts for the plot horse. What a great idea. Mm -hmm. So I get on the phone with her and it turns out that she has this book series idea, wants to partner with somebody to do it. And would I be interested? And it's like, you know, don't start jumping up and down, be professional. Like <laughs> what a perfect opportunity to have this partnership and to work on this together. So we met at, De at the Devon Horse Show actually, mm -hmm. and walked the grounds and talked about what we wanted the series to be. She has always described it as a an updated saddle club, kind of a saddle club 2.0 mm -hmm. uh, with some twists, with some modern takes. We don't want to have a mean girl in the series. We don't want to vilify the rich girl at the barn. Uh, it takes all different types. And a big part of the plaid horse mission is kindness in this industry. And so it's right there uh, in the books. So we started developing the characters and it took off pretty quickly. Piper and I brainstormed at Devon and I had a first draft by Pony Finals. I got to go to all these shows as a spectator because I never rode ponies and I never showed at that level as a kid. So I wanted to take it all in. So it happened fast. One through three happened fast and then the pandemic hit. So we haven't gotten to do the big book tour, but again, 
the beauty of the independent publishing model is we can push this on our own timeline. So we plan to get out there as soon as it's safe to get out and, and meet our readers and, and mix with everybody and travel and get to more horse shows. And so 5,000 words into book four now is, is where we stand. And it's that, you know, the first draft phase where you're just pulling it out of yourself. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And, and this, when I was talking to Piper, this is going to be a big series. Like you, you, your, the intention is to, to keep writing and keep adding to it. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we hope so. And there's, there's so much more we want to represent. The books so far have been primarily hunter-jumper based, but there's so many aspects to the horse world out there that I, I want to immerse myself in and learn about and then be able to represent in future books. Mm -hmm. And I love the message behind this series that it's an inclusiveness and kindness and not vilifying and no, you know, not bullying and the, in a mm -hmm. unity around being an equestrian. I just, I, I think the message is so special and important, particularly in these times. And uh, we, uh, you know, there's always new readers coming to discover horses. And I love that there's going to be another series out there to uh, expose young people to horses and then, then they can continue to grow with the series and the characters as, as mm -hmm. you write more. Yeah. And I think there's all different kinds of opportunity as well within mm -hmm. our sport. The main character actually starts out just in the lesson program, you know, taking her weekly lessons. Another big character has her a pony of her own and they show on the A circuit. So we thought it was really important to represent both because there's tons of horse crazy kids out there who wait all week for their weekly riding lesson and that's mm -hmm. how it starts and there's all different ways to get where we want to go mm -hmm. and that's so exciting and there are so many different plot lines you can follow within the equestrian world and mm -hmm. it, it's uh I just love that because your books can fill the gap for those young readers until they get to their writing lessons, right? Because they can right. be learning. I mean, that's what that's what I did as a kid. I was like, that's what I did, yeah. <laughs> reading voraciously until I got to my writing lesson on the weekend. Exactly, right. right. <laughs> that's wonderful. And then, you know, just just what is the audience? I mean, I know adults read books, horse books that are sometimes focused on on a younger age group. But like, what, what would you say would be the perfect demographic for the Show Stride series? Yeah, I'd say our category is middle grade fiction mm -hmm. which is 8 to 12 13 year olds ish but again like you said we have readers who read the books aloud to their children who don't read by themselves yet we have adult readers we have lots of teenage readers i think children always want to read up a little bit and read about people older than themselves mm. and even though our main characters are 12 13 uh they're very mature i think most horse girls are oh, yes. uh, for their age so i think that it's appealing and relatable for teenagers as much as that younger end of the middle grade category. That's yeah, perfect. And, and yeah, so I think having horses in your life makes you all around from a young age more responsible because you always have to think about the horse first. So you have compassion for another being. You have to you know, take care of the horse before you can take care of yourself. The horse eats first at horse shows. The horse has to be okay. You can't just walk away and leave it, you know, so I, 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 and there's barrier and vet and all the responsibility that goes into a horse. So, yeah. Uh, so you're actually speaking to the responsibility that comes from horse mm -hmm. ownership and lessons and, and everything that goes into it, which is awesome. And so, so the two of you co-author and work, work together, how, how does that process look? Are you doing the majority of the writing, but you 
you talk together and you plot out where the series is going and then you kind of go behind the scenes and write. Is that how it works or? Yeah, I'd say my heavy lifting is kind of bookended with the collaboration part. Mm -hmm. Um, For each book, we talk about kind of overview, not necessarily specific plot lines, but like we want to be sure to include this. We want to address this happening. And then of course she is, Piper is editing and giving me input along the way. But the for me, the beauty of partnership is that she really gives me a lot of freedom in that interim, which you don't always get in an editor or in a partnership. It's been a very different experience than ghostwriting when it's really somebody else's story, which I love and appreciate in one way. But here, this is our story and it's it's me too. So for someone who has worked in an industry where there's there's no ego and it's not about you and that's great. That's what that industry is. Mm-hmm. And here I get to creatively, you know, stretch my legs. And we really, we just, Piper and I see eye to eye on a lot. So it's been a great match that way. Mm-hmm. And she brings ideas to the table and I bring ideas to the table and we, you know, have good brainstorming moments together as well. Oh, that found, that sounds like so much fun. Two horse girls writing books for horse girls and collaborating oh, yeah. together, you know, and, and you're writing about your passion. You know, I feel like when you're writing about something you really, really love it, it's sometimes a little easier to get the words on the page when you're writing about horses. Uh, And then talk to us a little bit about what you do with the plaid horse, because the plaid horse does a really incredible job of promoting the show stride series. I mean, the plaid horse is an incredible brand. I mean, they, Mm -hmm. the newsletters are lovely. There's a podcast, the articles are strong. There's the magazine. There's so many elements to the plaid horse that, that Piper has created and, and the books flow right into it. And, and, not only do you write books with Piper for the Plaid Horse and the Show Stars series, but you actually work on the publication too. Talk to us mm-hmm. about what you do there. Yeah, yeah. That just started last March. Mm-hmm. It's actually the last time I got to travel. I got to go to uh, the horse <laughs> show out in Thermal in the desert in California with her. Oh, fun. And we kind of brainstormed there about what I could bring to the brand in terms of the magazine and the blog. There isn't a ton of crossover, I think, between traditional media and publishing and then the horse world. Mm. So it's exciting that I can bring both of those skill sets. And I think that's what she wanted was someone outside the horse world to complement her staff that all come from the horse world. So it's been so rewarding, so much fun to get to work on the brand from all angles. I mean, my 13 year old self would not have believed that this is what (laughs) I get to do as an adult. So uh, it's really exciting. That is so exciting. And it's, I find it interesting too, that often, you know, our corporate lives and our endeavors train us, but to come back into like the horse world and, and mm-hmm. connect with our writing and and the horses and the corporate experience that we have only adds to what we end up doing when we find our dream job, you know, it's like, so you have your own business. Now you're working with the plaid horse, you're writing a horse book series, you're ghostwriting, you're doing all these amazing things, but that corporate experience kind of led you to this moment in your adult life, which is so exciting. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It sounds like you have a lot of projects potentially in the works that a lot of times, you know, do you have a special structure to set up your writing time? Because you were saying, you know, if you're working on nonfiction, you have to like sort of shift gears and get into the fiction. Like, do you, how do you establish your day so you can get these projects going? It's kind of a free for all, but my, my constant is from about six in the morning until 8.30 when my husband leaves for work. He's on kid duty and I am 
here in my office. So mm. it's me and just the constant coffee and whatever project really needs the most attention at any given time is mm. what I'm working on. I find that when it comes to fiction and pulling out that first draft, I need those morning hours for that. You know, as the day goes on, you get tired, you got lots on your mind. That's good editing time for mm. me. And good nonfiction work when it's somebody else's story that I'm working on telling. But mornings are just absolutely key for fiction. And when we used to travel, uh, traveling was the best for me for writing fiction because you're on a plane or a train or what have you, and there's no distractions. And so you just put the headphones in and, and you know, it, it tends to pour out a little faster than it might in your home office. So, yeah, so the morning is a constant across the day it varies day to day and you know some nights when the kids are in bed mm -hmm. some weekends it's it's interesting having your own business and being a freelancer that you sort of never stop working but that's why you need to love what you do in order to to work this way so i'm i'm grateful for it it's worth it i have to remind myself to take a few days off from time to time and just turn off the devices turn off my brain a little but that's all it takes i think is a few days of just a total reset and refresh. Yeah. Spoken like a true entrepreneur, you know, when you're doing something <laughs> you love, you do work more, but it yeah. doesn't feel as much like work. And I'm totally with you about reminding yourself to take some downtime. Mm -hmm. That's, that can be one of the most difficult things because it, and being a creative things bubble up at the weirdest times. So you have to like run and capture them at the same time. So inconvenient times, right? <laughs> absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I always carry a journal with me or I, you know, save something into my phone. So I capture the phone, right? Yeah. right. <laughs> And, and, and traveling and working on airplanes, my favorite also, for some reason, yes, you put the earbuds in, you listen to some music and you just jam and, yep, you know, yep. don't talk to the person next to you. And that's like that's perfect working time. I miss it. <laughs> I know. I love that. We'll, we'll get back there one of these days. And, you know, that's yep. a funny thing too, is I think once we figure out what's going on with this pandemic, it's sort of like returning to horseback riding as an adult. I think we'll have a new appreciation for travel, being sure. social with our friends, being able to get out to conferences and network again, being able to have book events. I mean, you know, it's like, I miss talking to readers. I mean, thank heaven for Zoom and the opportunity to do things like this. But there's something about being in person, being at a horse show uh, that I think we'll have this whole new level of like appreciation for once once we get through all this. So yes, that's a bright spot, I think, to think about is, you know, just how lovely everyone will be when they get to come out of their bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> We'll be, we'll be rusty at it, but we'll get better. We'll get back into the swing of things. <laughs> and, then, and for the Showstride series, uh, how long are the books on average? And how long does it take you to uh, write one of, one of the books in the series? Mm -hmm. They're not long. Let me see here. The most recent is 165 pages. It's a bigger font. I don't know if mm -hmm. you can see that. So it's a quick read. But, you know, the idea is we want to get our readers reading the first book and then to keep reading. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I'd say the first draft takes a few months mm -hmm. uh, and then a few more months of editing and then, you know, layout and art and all that kind of thing. And Piper is so lovely about how fast she thinks that is. Mm -hmm. But again, having a tra having a training ground like people, I'm, I'm just used to the tough deadlines. I mean, that the Christian Siriano book, the first draft we wrote in six weeks. Mm -hmm. So it that was very valuable to see that it can be done. So mm -hmm. three months for a first draft of a children's book doesn't seem quite so daunting. Yeah. And well, that's fantastic too. And, and then to be able to add to the series is just, it's like a special thing to keep it moving forward and always having something to talk about. And then 
developing these rabid readers that want more, want more, want more. I think that's why series are so special too, because you just, you develop a fan base and you keep serving them and they grow with you and they love the characters and they mm-hmm. give you, and then eventually they give you ideas for where you could potentially take the stories too. And, and the great thing is, is you can, you, if you wanted to, you could even kind of open up to other disciplines of writing. You know, it's like you, you yep. could start with the ponies and then maybe yep. there's a trip to Wyoming and then you throw them into a Western saddle. I mean, there's so much opportunity. That's very much the plan. Yeah. yeah. So how are you reaching your readers for the show stride series? Because it, it, it's interesting. You, you, I'm sure you have adult readers and teenagers will like this, but when you're trying to reach the demographic that the books are focused on, you often have to reach them through parents. So and with events off the table, what, what are you doing to try and get in touch with your readers about the book series right now? I mean, the beauty of show strides is that we have the whole plaid horse machine behind it. So mm-hmm. we're hope, hoping to reach parents that way through the magazine and the blog. We have an Instagram that is growing. Uh, on, I think it's just Instagram.com slash show strides. Uh, on the website, the plaidhorse.com slash show hyphen strides. We have chapter samples to check out the book that way. So it's really just, it's engaging with readers wherever they are, which we're finding is a lot of Instagram and a lot of social media. <laughs> so it's, that's what we're doing for now. The goal for book four is to be out by Pony Finals in August, which is at the Kentucky Horse Park. Oh, so with any luck, we will, <laughs> we will be traveling, we will have the book and we will have our audience right there. So it's ever evolving how we're connecting. Yeah. And the excerpts on, on the plaid horse are perfect. And, uh, I love, I, I just, I love your Instagram channel because it's, it's so adorable. It's often young, young ladies holding up the book or young, young people holding up the book on the back of a pony. And it's, it's adorable. Right. You're doing a great job with that. <laughs> Thank and, you. and then do you have like a team of social media people helping you or, or, or are you and Piper running your Instagram channels and, and things like that? We have social media specialists. Piper is, I think, continually looking for new team members to specialize and, and to help us there. So we've had a lot of great people working on social. We both do it some, but mm-hmm. I think that's a really special skill set, people who truly understand social media. So mm-hmm. we're happy to have the experts in the mix there. <laughs> I'm so fortunate because you both want to be writing, writing the books, you know, and, and when you're trying to do all things, it can take away from your writing time. So it's it's awesome that you have people to help you out in that endeavor and doing a really good job at it. You do a lot of different things. And I, I'm wondering for you, I always like to ask this question because the answer is always a little different for, for you at, in your writing life, what has been the most challenging part of being an author? And then on the flip side, what's the very best part about your author life? I'll take the best part first, if that's okay. okay. Yeah. Uh, I think writing fiction, the most rewarding thing has been writing what I loved to read as a kid and continue to love to read. A lot of show strides is uh, lesson scenes. I wouldn't say it's a lot of show strides, but that's heavily sprinkled throughout. I always love reading when I feel like I'm taking away skills and information about the sport as well as following along with a story. So my trainer uh, is very much in the fictional trainer in this book because I'm taking what I'm learning in my lessons mm-hmm. and putting it in there and watching you know younger children in their lessons as well and trying to pick up on on those themes so I think incorporating the writing lessons within the writing has been so much fun I would say the hardest thing shifting between the fiction and the nonfiction is hard 
I, I think that there's a real skill in learning to trust kind of the quiet periods when the ideas are not coming to you and you feel kind of stuck. I actually just recently heard from a psychologist that in those periods where you feel stagnant, things are still very much happening in the background in your mind as a creative person. Even though the ideas are not right there at the surface, that doesn't mean that things aren't happening. So being able to relax into those downtimes a little bit, do other things with my time and just trust that the ideas are going to come, it's going to come back has been something hard to learn. And it's not easy to be in those periods where you feel stuck, but always a big celebration when you, (laughs) when the ideas (laughs) come back again. Yeah. Oh, I I think that that is incredible advice that you just shared there, because I, I think all creatives probably wind up in those periods. Like I I was having that at the beginning of the new year, just feeling Mm -hmm. very stopped and, you know, like I was walking through mud in my creativity and I I couldn't, and I was anxious, very anxious about it. Like, uh, But but learning to trust that is so special because I, I you do come out of it. I did come out of it. The muse does come back. It's almost like it just needs a, a rest and we need to, like you said, trust that. That's so special. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, um, yeah, I hope it helps. Yeah. And then and for you, you know, I'm sure it comes back, right? So you're just quiet with it and okay with it. Yeah. That's and special. I think it's also accepting the fact that as a creative and as a freelancer, you're always living with the fear about what's the next book going to be? Is it going to come to me? Does somebody want to read what I'm writing? I have an author friend who's been doing this for 20 years. And I said to her, when do I get to let go of this existential fear that whatever book I'm working on is the last book? And she said, any day now. <laughs> so it doesn't go away. You just have to learn to live with that. But maybe, you know, it, it it's a little bit similar to riding, I think. There's an amount of healthy fear and healthy, you know, adrenaline and anticipation that comes with it that maybe you need. I mean, the minute you rest on your laurels in riding or in writing, I think that's probably when it gets stale. So Mm. just like I try to relax in the, you know, the down periods and the stagnant periods, I feel like that fear is just part of what it's part of the package when we choose to do this. Mm -hmm. It's part of the journey. And it, it's part of what motivates us to keep going too. even even though it's very uncomfortable, (laughs) it's a very uncomfortable (laughs) thing. Uh, But it's part, yeah, you're right. It's part of the creative life. You have so much experience. I was wondering if you would share, you know, what advice would you offer uh, a first time author coming to the table, perhaps before they publish their first book? What, what would you tell them? I would say when you think you're done, you have several edits left to go. <laughs> and that's something we all learn the hard way. I wish I knew who said this, but I live my writing life by good writing is rewriting. And as writers and wordsmiths and lovers of language, it's easy to fall in love with our own words and our own passages and and, and that kind of thing. But it, it also, it, it's that writer's phrase, kill your darlings. I mean, you have to be able to look critically and edit, 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 revise, revise, revise. The more audience you have before you're published, I think is helpful. Whether it's fellow writers, would-be readers. I don't think your mom or your spouse makes a particularly great beta reader. People who love you are Mm -hmm. always gonna read through the lens of loving you. So finding somebody who's a little bit more impartial is very helpful, but you know, to a point, you can't get enough readers, early readers, and you really can't revise enough when it's done you have more revising to do Mm -hmm. and you get used to it (laughs) (laughs) that's that is a that is great advice edit 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 some more get feedback yeah and you know 
and the, the interesting thing is too, I think the more books you write, the more comfortable with the process you get and the better your writing becomes. And I, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of authors sometimes go back and rework their backlist as mm-hmm. they get better with their writing, you know, because sometimes it's like, you just have to do it for heaven's sakes, get the first yes. one out into the world. And oh, like sure. you said, learn the lot, le- you learn the lessons early mm-hmm. on, but that's the beautiful thing too, uh, particularly with independent publishing is you can go back if you want to and rework your backlist yeah. as you grow as an author. So, mm-hmm. so there's, but knowing it out of the gate to work with a professional editor, take their opinions and ha- let them help you make your work better. And there's various sorts of editing too. You're right. There's developmental edits and then there's that nitty gritty line editing. And it just, the work is only going to be stronger the more editing that you do. And you're right. The longer you do this, the more you lean into the process. I mean, I, for me now, the 14th edit can actually be fun. You know, because you're taking the words on the page and you're making them sing. I mean, it's the hard part is putting the words on the page in the first place. I would actually say that's my other biggest advice to my clients, to anyone listening, is put the words on the page and expect for them to be terrible. They are not supposed to be good when they first go on the page. Mm -hmm. But then you have words on the page to work with. (laughs) Um, So to me, that's the hardest part. It always will be. And then the fun part comes later. Editing does become fun. Yeah. And get the book finished. Don't edit as you go. Get the words on the page because you're not going to get anywhere if you don't get that first draft down. So that's great advice as well. I'd like to ask those of them too. Is there something that a listener might be surprised to learn about you? Like, can you do a rotating backflip or make a really amazing pancake? (laughs) (laughs) Neither of those. Um, But I used to be a concert pianist. My mom required my little brother and I to both dedicate a year to a musical instrument. And he chose the clarinet and I chose the piano. And I I love music, but to be honest with you, I think what I really enjoyed about playing the piano was because I'm so competitive that I got into the competitions. I played Mozart duets with a partner at the Peabody in Baltimore. And it I I think I like the competition element of it the most. (laughs) By the end of my piano tenure, I'd been taking lessons and wanted to take more, wanted to work at the bar, you know, just wanted to live that life. So I traded piano for horses, but, um, but it was a good run while it lasted. <laughs> oh, that's exciting. Oh, well, and uh, the competitiveness, you can just take that and toss it right into the equestrian ring because exactly. <laughs> that that's a good thing to have for that too. Yeah. And I've had so much fun talking with you today. You've shared so much great information. What's next? Where, where are you heading? What are you thinking? I mean, obviously there's the fourth show stride series book, but what are you up to? Where, where are you going? Yeah, I have um, I have several manuscripts in various stages of uh, of being finished. I love writing for children. I haven't written for adults quite yet. I, I hope that will happen. I'm really exploring body positivity right now, particularly for children. I think it's a movement that's really taking off, and it's about time. Uh, so much of the diet culture that those of us old enough to have grown up in, it's so pervasive. And I think that teaching kids today that it's not about making yourself smaller, it's about making yourself stronger and appreciating your body for what it can do, as opposed to being, you know, obsessed with numbers, numbers on the scale, size on your clothes. It's, it's a problem for so many people and it's so pervasive. And I think why not start sooner? So I have 
I have some work that I'm hoping will result uh, in, in a book for children uh, to that end. Oh, I love that. And I, that is such a special contribution and you are a mom. So yeah. I'm sure you're seeing it in your own children. And, and I just, I think that's such a special topic. So when might we expect to see some content like that from you? Uh, that I don't know yet, but okay. <laughs> but I would love to update you when I do. Yes, uh, I, I think when, when you have kind of a bunch of different balls in the air on projects like this and you're pursuing publishing in different ways, you just don't get to control the timeline. <laughs> and that has been so hard for me. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's part of my 2021 goals is to trust the process and trust the timing uh, and just to keep immersing myself in it. I My drives to and from the barn, I am constantly listening to podcasts and audiobooks and most recently about body positivity because that's mm. kind of my latest fascination but mm. I think that there's so much downtime in our lives that if just turning off is good for you great if you're a little antsier like me using the time to listen when you're doing something else has been awesome I'm so hooked on audiobooks lately I find, I find it hard to sit down and read a book <laughs> I'm just so into being read to lately that I I actually, I just started a book because I'm like, this is not a great habit to only listen to books, but, but it's a great addition, you know, mm-hmm. as a writer with your reading, the audio format as well. So absolutely. And I, I love the idea of, you know, driving back and forth, using that time to mm-hmm. increase your knowledge or learn about a topic that you're interested in. I'm a hundred percent for that. And I, I actually loved your answer to me asking you when we might expect something, because this is a mistake authors and writers often make yes. is. Yes you know, yes, a lot of us work against a deadline, but, but saying when is often not when you just have to trust that it's ready when it's ready. And then you can bring something to your readers because promising a date often leads to disappointment because writing, writing is not easy and and editing sometimes takes longer or Mm -hmm. things get in the way or life happens. So yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm working on not saying by when it'll just be available when it's ready. So yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I have had so much fun talking with you today and I would love to have you back on the show. Maybe we can do like a duo interview with you and Piper when there's, you know, more books in the series or you're off and running and back at events and we can talk again. But in the meantime, where can listeners find more information about working with you and also more information about the Showside series and what you're doing over there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, My website is rennydieball.com. R-E-N-N-I-E-D-Y-B-A-L-L.com. Uh, on the Plaid Horse, you can find the Plaidhorse.com. You can find all kinds of information about show strides uh, on Instagram. And all three books are available on Amazon. We have the paperbacks. We're on Kindle. And we're also on Audible for the drives to and from the barn. <laughs> Perfect. And book four, not to, not to put an early pub date on it, but we are, (laughs) we're aiming for August, but surely 2021 will be the fourth book in the series. Perfect. And I will link to all of those places in the show notes so you can get directly to Rennie and the Show Stride series and learn more about what she does. Thank you so much for the gift of your time today. And I wish you so much. Tons of success. (laughs) Thank you. Same to you. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. 
Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle. <laughs>